0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 19, starting from verse 28. In the first part of this uh, chapter, uh, the Lord actually, after He met with Zacchaeus, He Uh, taught the multitude about the parable of the uh, minus. When he said a king actually gave minus to his servants and then he went to obtain kingdom and return back. But some enemies sent delegation after the king and said, we don't want this one to uh, reign over us. And we, in the interpretation of the parable, we explained that these enemies are the people who reject our Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Then his journey toward Jerusalem to be crucified started from verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up, to Jerusalem. So, when he had finished the preceding parable, the parable of the and after carefully correcting his followers as to the true nature of his kingdom, his kingdom is not an earthly one, but a heavenly one, and he explained his mission. Jesus went steadfastly towards Jerusalem going up to Jerusalem means he led the way at the head of the company thus showing his readiness to suffer he entered Jerusalem to be crucified so he is leading the way leading the multitude in the journey this means he is saying to everybody I am here to suffer for you I am here to shed my blood for you He went knowing full well what awaited him. He will be crucified. He will be delivered into the hand of the Gentiles to kill him. Knowing that he must endure the cross before receiving the kingdom. Actually, he reigned on the cross and we consider the throne of the Lord is the cross. When we read about the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should admire him, not pitying him. He knew exactly what was before him, and he was ready to face it. Uh, In in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 11, verse 57, we know that they put a price on Jesus' head. Whoever Deliver Jesus to their hand, they will pay him money. And Jesus was a wanted man. They wanted him to kill him. Despite all that, Jesus came into Jerusalem this time in the most public way possible. It was like a an demonstration, and the multitude going with him. And the fact, as we read, Jesus went up, going up to Jerusalem, went up, actually, going up, geographically, actually is a physical, accurate description of his journey, because they were going up. But, prophetically, it has another meaning. Going up is a prophecy of his ascent to the Father, his ascension, in the heavenly Jerusalem, going up to earthly Jerusalem to be crucified then he will go up to the heavenly Jerusalem to be seated at the right hand of the Father which actually happened at the completion of his mission here on earth uh, verse 29 and, at, and it came to pass when he, Jesus, drew near to Bethphage. And Bethany at the mountain called Olive that he sent two of his disciples so here the Lord carefully and deliberately sent two of his disciples to make some arrangements for his arrival to Jerusalem Jesus had been so many times before to Jerusalem but this time it was a different journey. There is something very special about this journey because now he is entering Jerusalem as a king to be crucified on our uh, behalf. Bit Fagi, you know, Hebrew and uh, Arabic is, is close to each other. Bit means house, Fagi, figs. So Bit Fagi is the house of figs. This is a village with which with Bethany lay along the further side of Mount Olive, eastern of Jerusalem was also Bethphage was the village of the priests. Mount Olive, it was so called because of the abundance of olive tree that grew upon this mountain. These two (coughs) disciples that he sent, nobody from the four evangelists, mention their names. So we don't know who are they. And the Lord told them in verse 30, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Lose it and bring it here. So, the Lord asked his disciples to bring a colt. All this to fulfill the prophecies about the Messiah in Isaiah and also in Zechariah. And these two prophets prophesied about the entry of the Messiah to Jerusalem riding on a colt. Also, Jacob, before his departure, Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes, he actually prophesied about that the tribe of Judah is the tribe of kings. So when the Lord entered Jerusalem, and the Lord is from the tribe of Judah, when he entered as a king, he also fulfilled Jacob's prophecy for the tribe of Judah. Because Jesus is the true Judahite, king from kingship will never depart from the tribe of Judah Uh, for a long time the disciples and the multitude wished that the master claim a kingdom but all this time the Lord did not claim a kingdom but at this moment aware that his death is very close, in a few days, he chose actually to declare his kingdom. Yes, his kingdom is completely different from what they longed for. They were longing for earthly kingdom, but he came to be our heavenly kingdom. He came to his royal sacred city in the strange appearance prophesied by Zechariah. Why? Usually king enter riding on horses, but he rode on a donkey because he is the Prince of Peace. Nobody will go to a war riding donkey. So he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey because he is the Prince of Peace. He entered not with chariot or horse, but meeky, meekly riding on a cult, claiming also a dominion from sea to sea, from river to the end of earth, as we read in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 10. And we read that this cult, no one has never sat on it. It is, when there is a description like this, it is only for sacred use. As we read in Numbers 19, 2, Deuteronomy 21, 3, 1 Samuel 6, 7, nobody used it before means then it can be used for sacred purposes. Then the Lord told them in verse 31, And if anyone asks you, why are you losing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Uh, so our Lord here has foreknowledge of what's gonna happen. So he knew this question. He knew that the owners will ask this question. Therefore, he prepared the disciples with an answer. And the answer is a very simple answer: the Lord has need of it. But the commentators on the scripture try to dig deep into the meaning of this simple sentence some thought uh, that the owner was a follower of jesus who had perhaps not yet declared himself openly as a follower of jesus other thought it was a prearranged borrowing or rental of this animal for the use of jesus so the lord agreed with this person with the owners that he will send two disciples to rent this donkey and some interpreted to mean that he is our lord the word of the lord he is our lord everyone's else lord the lord of these creatures and of all things else and the lord wants it for his present service or maybe simply means the lord has need of it nothing deeper than this And most probably the owner or the owners of this cult were acquainted with the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed, especially the raising glathers from the dead. Because this was actually happened just before this procession to uh, Jerusalem. And uh, many, many people believed in Jesus after this miracle, and consider, considered him as the Messiah. And verse 32 shows us the simple obedience of the disciples. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. Um, but as they were losing the cult, the owners of it said to them, Why are you losing the cult? And they said, literally, as the Lord told them, The Lord has need of him. So, the two disciples that were sent by Christ were obedient. And as he directed them, they went and they did exactly as he ordered them. They start losing the cult in order to bring it uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it seems that there were more than one owner to the cult, as we read in verse 33, it's plural. The owners of it said to them. So it's plural. And actually, uh, when you think about it, when there are more than one owner, taking away the cult will be more difficult because Maybe one agree, the other will disagree. But Christ, who is God, and has the hearts of all men in his hand, he could, as he did, to change the mind of these people, and let all of them agree, and let the disciples take the cult to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the disciples were asked why they were losing the cult. They used exactly the words of the Lord, not their own words. The Lord has need of him, and uh, the word also the Lord has need of him is continually. We see the Lord continually humbling himself to show us how terrible, how terrible pride is in the sight of God. God hates prideful uh, people and hates, uh, or hates the sin of pride and resist the proud. Verse 35, Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. They threw their own clothes on the colt to do Jesus' royal honor, thus acknowledging Jesus to be their king for this was a custom observed by the people, and they set Jesus on him, mean on the clothes they put it uh, on the colt instead of a saddle. And although the colt had never been used before, but it was perfect, perfectly tame on this occasion, and they were able actually to make the Lord Jesus Christ sit on it. And the Lord, all his life, refused any honor. But this time he allowed this to happen because this was befitting the state he was for the first and only time to declare himself as a king, but king of peace, heavenly king, not earthly king. Uh, Verse 36. And as he went, so the procession started, many spread their clothes on the road. So we can see that the multitude which attended him on this journey had also increased in the number as the Lord advanced toward Jerusalem, and they spread their clothes on the road and instead of a carpet as an act of homage to the king. Verse 37, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount Olives. So, he was on the mountain, and the mountain is going down. So, on the top, he can see Jerusalem. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen." So, at this point on on the Bethany Road, the city of Jerusalem comes to view. They were able to see the city of Jerusalem. So everybody started to cry and glorify God. And here, actually, not only the people who accompanied the Lord Jesus Christ in his procession, but also a crowd of pilgrims came to celebrate the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Many of them also were well acquainted with the Lord Jesus Christ, so came also to meet the procession and to welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have these two groups joined each other and accompanied him from Bethany to Jerusalem. And they glorified God uh, with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. In Psalm 118, blessed is He. So here we can see they added the word King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This reminds us with the song of the angels during the birth of Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward me. And Luke did not mention the word Hosanna that was mentioned in other Gospels like Matthew. Why? Uh, Luke wrote to Theophilus who was a Gentile and This particular word, Hosanna, will not convey any meaning to the Gentile reader uh, because it's a Hebrew word. Hosanna means save us. Uh, And and as I told you, Luke wrote to uh, Theophilus, who is a Gentile. That's why he did not use the word Hosanna. But the first part of their uh, cry was taken from Psalm 118, verse 26, with a little variation. As I told you, the Psalm says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but they replaced the word he by the word the King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Which means they proclaimed Jesus' identity as the promised Messiah as the King of Israel. And the other part of their shout of praise is inspired by the Holy Spirit and echoing the angelic song announcing the birth of Christ. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth. Uh, St. Ambrose said, The multitude acknowledging God proclaims Jesus King. Repeat the prophecy and declare that the expected son of David according to the flesh had come. So that's actually because he said, Hosanna in the highest, uh, Hosanna son of David uh, as recorded in other uh, Gospels. So the idea of a victorious conquering king entering a city was well known at that time. Let me give you a quick description about when a conquering victorious king enters a city, how the procession looks like. Typically, a victorious king came or comes into a city escorted by citizens of his kingdom and his army. But we don't see army around Jesus Christ. There was no army. And as he enters, songs were sung in praise and acclamation of the conquer, and uh, the king actually comes with symbols of his victory and authority. But the Lord did not carry any symbols with him of victory or authority. And finally, when the king comes into the city, prominent temple, makes a sacrificial offering to honor the gods and associate himself with the gods of the temple. But Jesus, when he entered into the city and went to the temple, he cleansed the temple. He did not offer any sacrifice. So, Jesus entered Jerusalem with a relatively humble and different escort and singing. The only symbols of his power was a humble donkey and the palm branches that the people carried. And upon entering the city, he did not offer sacrifices, but actually he challenged the religious status quo of the city and cleansed the temple. Verse 39 And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I like to remind you that uh, in the parable of the miners, as I said in the beginning, the enemies refused the the king to reign over them. And here we see who are these enemies. These enemies are the religious leaders of Israel who were bothered by the cry of the people and asked the Lord to rebuke his disciples. So uh, the Praise of the multitude made the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ uncomfortable. It made them know they were defeated by the end, why they became uncomfortable. Because they knew they are defeated. And they have announced themselves as those fellow citizens in the parable of the minors who did not want the nobleman or the prince to rule over them as we read in the same chapter, Luke 19, verse 14. They have also declared themselves to be the king's enemy, that Jesus spoke of them in the same parable, in the same chapter 19, verse 27. The Lord, in actually most of the time of his ministry, did everything he could to discourage people from publicly celebrating him as the Messiah. But at this moment, when he foresaw most clearly his own approaching end, he entered Jerusalem to be crucified. So the Lord accepted every word that disciples meant to call him king, to call him. Uh, son of David, the title of the Messiah, uh, because now he is actually entering Jerusalem in the fullest sense of the word Messiah means. Saint Cyril of Alexandria comments on the response of our Lord Jesus Christ when he told uh, the disciples, I tell you that if these should keep silent the stones would immediately cry out. Uh, Saint Cyril said, it is impossible for God not to be glorified because the praise of the people was to glorify the mighty works of God. And the Bible speaks about the creation itself praising God. So, so when the Lord said the stones will praise God, literally the creation praise God. Uh, like in Psalm 148 from verse 7 to 13 and ni- Psalm 96 from verse 11 and 12 we read about trees, hills, oceans, rivers, mountains, valleys, cattle, creeping things, birds, fields, all of them give actually glory to God. But who are these stones? When the Lord said if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry. You know, John the Baptist, when he said to the people, don't brag that you are the children of Abraham, because God can make out of these stones children to Abraham. So he was speaking to Israel, the Jews. So he told them, don't just say you are the children of Abraham. God actually can make the stone from the stones, children of Abraham. So, who are the stones here? The stones are the Gentiles who were described actually in the Old Testament that they have hearts of stone. But in the New Covenant, God told them, I remove from you the hearts of stone and give you hearts of flesh. So, when John the Baptist told them, God can raise from these stones the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, children of Abraham. This is true. We are Gentiles. We are not children of Abraham, you know, by birth. But we became the spiritual children of Abraham. So what actually John the Baptist said is fulfilled in us. We are the stones that were silent and we became actually the children of Abraham. So when the Lord actually tell, said here, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. That's what happened. The Jews were silent about the Messiah. They did not proclaim him as a king. And we the stones who had stony hearts now are praising God and proclaiming Jesus as our Messiah, our King the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. So the stones here also refers to the Gentiles who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Uh, As he drew near, He looked on the city and wept over it. This was a deeply moving moment for Jesus. Actually, every Hosanna Sunday in in my sermon, I refer to this verse. And I say, everybody is happy today. Everybody is shouting out of joy. But one person is crying, Jesus Christ, weeping over Jerusalem. His tears were not for his own fate in Jerusalem because he will be crucified and suffer, but for the fate of the city itself. And I want you to pay attention to this. Although he was treated unkindly by the people of Jerusalem, and at this very moment, he was about to be killed by the people of Jerusalem. Yet, in his loving kindness, in his compassion, he wept over Jerusalem. In the view of the surrounding multitude, everyone noticed his tears coming from his eyes. And he lifted up his voice and mourned aloud the adversities that, as, as God, he foreknew will happen to Jerusalem, and actually which happened in year 70 A.D. If Jerusalem had known Jesus and his work as Messiah, maybe they might have been spared the destruction to come. This was a turning point for the Jewish people. Their leaders had rejected Jesus And most of the people followed their leaders, unfortunately, until now. And they rejected Jesus to to claim him as the true Messiah who came to the world. And Jesus here showed the heart of God. How even when the judgment is pronounced, it is not done with joy. We know that God's judgment is perfectly just and righteous. But still, his heart weeps at the bringing of the judgment. Although his judgment is just and fair, but still he cries and weep over the people. And he explained why he is crying in verse 42, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. I came for your peace, I came for your salvation, but you you didn't know, and you refused to believe in me. But now, they have hidden from your eyes. So, especially in this your day, the day of her visitation, the last day they have, because this was the last time Jesus entered Jerusalem, he died after this, and then he rose from the dead, and uh, after this, he appeared several times to certain people. So, he told them, now I enter to visit you, Um, my last visitation to you, I, 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 I hoped that you know in this very day, that's your day, what is for your peace. And Jerusalem means, from the word Salim, means peace. City of peace. So the Lord, is alluding to the name of Jerusalem. You are called the city of peace, but you do not know what is for your peace. Actually, when I visited Jerusalem, I was not happy for all the conflict that happens there, even between different people of denomination, uh, different denominations of Christianity, even between different parties, political parties who are fighting in Jerusalem. The Lord cleansed the temple from buying and selling and everything there is just buying and selling, became a market. So, yes, the Lord, very, very true. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, this, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And they are hidden until now. They call it the holy city. And this city, unfortunately, can describe anything away from the word holy, unfortunately. So Jesus mourned over the fact they did not know the time of the Messiah's coming. It was prophesied by Daniel. Daniel actually determined the year exactly in which the Lord Jesus Christ is born. So it's very clear. But they were blind. They had not seen this peace and salvation because they had refused to open their eyes. Therefore, he said, hidden from your eyes. Why hidden? Because their eyes were blinded. They were given up to blindness, hardness of heart. They became hearts of stone, not the Gentiles. Now they are hearts of stone. A spirit of slumber and foolishness has controlled them. They could not discern the signs of the times and so disbelieved Jesus as the Messiah. And the Lord predicted five things will happen to Jerusalem. In verse 43, for days will come upon you, which happened in year 70 AD. Days will come upon you. When your enemies will build an embankment around you, number one, surround you, and close you in on every side, Berto, and level you and your children within you to the ground. Number three, and they will not leave you, leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So, five things will happen: building an embankment, surrounding of the city and siege, destruction of the city, killing of the city's inhabitants, and the complete leveling of the city. And these five things literally happened when the city was besieged by Titus. The destruction of the city and the temple is described by Flavius Josephus in two of his books, Antiquities of the Jews and the Jewish wars. According to Josephus, four Roman legions encircled the city, and General Titus raised a wall upon, around the upper city. The temple was completely destroyed in fire. Uh, And the Lord said, they will not leave a stone over a stone. And this was literally happened. Because after they put fire on the city, all the gold melted. They now, they want to take the gold. So they had actually to destroy and separate stone from stone in order actually to remove the gold and take it. So even this word, and they will leave not a stone over a stone, was fulfilled literally the Roman soldiers used water on the hot stones to break them apart, to get the gold that had decorated the temple's walls and the perimeter of the roof that had melted into the cracks of the stone. So literally, not one stone was left upon another as the Lord prophesied when he said, they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And according to Josephus, 97,000 Jews were taken captive, many of whom were sold into slavery. And 1,100,000 were killed. Why this judgment? As the Lord said, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because they rejected the Messiah when He came to them in His visitation. As the Lord said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. That's His visitation toward us. Are we going to open to Him or not? So, the idea of visitation presents two aspects. God visits us to pardon us, to give us salvation, forgiveness. But also, The day of visitation, like in the second coming, can be rebuke and correction, as we read it in 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Uh, Here on earth, can be rebuke and correction, but in second coming, it will be the final judgment. So, whether the Lord came to pardon us, or the Lord visit us to rebuke and correct us. The act of visitation here is an act of care. Like father or parent, when he go and visit his son or daughter, maybe he goes to encourage, to support, or to rebuke and correct, but both are acts of love, acts of care, acts of mercy. Regardless of what they did to him, rejecting and crucifying him, he ordered his disciples before his ascension to begin their ministry and preach the gospel at Jerusalem. After all of this, he told them you will be witnesses of me where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he told them start in Jerusalem. And they continued for some time only preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. And, if you study in the scripture, the time of the ministry of John the Baptist started in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ started in Jerusalem. His apostles started also in Jerusalem, in Judea. This actually was the visitations of Jerusalem. And it, it showed the mercy of God toward the city. But they did not know the day of their visitation. John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, visited Jerusalem, but they did not know the days of visitation. They did not take notice of it. They did not observe it. Therefore, it brought another kind of visitation upon them. It's a visitation of wrath and punishment when the whole city was destroyed at 70 AD. So when Jerusalem rejected his fellowship, It exposed itself to absolute destruction. Then the Lord actually did two things. Verse 45, Then He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. That's one thing, the cleansing of the temple. The other thing that he did in the temple, and he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. So, uh, the Lord offered two things, purifying the temple of the buyers and sellers also teaching in it every day. If the first act is passive, in which the Lord expelled evil, yet the second one is positive, in which he declared his fellowship with his listeners. So we have here two scenes. The first one, Jesus reforming the temple from abuse, from corruption. And the second scene, Jesus teaching in the temple because many, many people, they came and listened to him. And he taught in the most public places in the temple. This cleaning of the temple seems distinct from the other one mentioned in John chapter two. There are two instances in which the Lord cleanses the temple. One was mentioned in John chapter two, This was in the beginning of the Lord's ministry. The other one was toward the end of his ministry, the one mentioned in Luke chapter 19. So we we need actually to differentiate between both of them. The first one that happened at the beginning of his ministry, to prepare the people for the beginning of his teaching ministry and to proclaim the kingdom. But the second one, actually in preparation for his final week of proclaiming the Gospel of Salvation. But the purpose of the two events is the same. To drive out the merchants who, in cooperation with the priests, cheated visitors to Jerusalem by forcing them to purchase approved sacrificial animals and currencies at high high prices, meaning if somebody brought an animal to be sacrificed from outside, the priests say, no, 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 it is not good to be sacrificed. So in a way, they are forcing them to buy from the, the, the sellers in the temple at high price to make profit out of it. And also, they made a currency especially to the temple. They say this currency that has Caesar uh, picture or image. is is defiled, and we cannot use it in the temple. So you need to buy the temple currency in order to buy the animals that will offer sacrifices. And in order, actually, to buy the the currency, to exchange the currency, they exchange it at very high price. So now they are making double profit, one from the currency exchange, and the other one from buying and selling the animals, the sacrificial uh, animals to them, and this actually, uh, like they were robbing the people, stealing the people. That's why the Lord said, den of thieves. Yes, it was den of thieves. So, his anger was toward both those who bought and sold in it. Maybe we say that those who are selling will understand, but why those who are buying? Because encouraging bad behavior like a supporting bad behavior. So, they were encouraging this. And when we say he cleanses the temple, we don't speak about the sanctuary, the holy and the holy of the holies, no. But we are speaking about the outer courtyard, most probably the courts for the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles came to the outer courtyard, there Actually, they prayed and uh, bought their sacrifices. So, this place was made for prayer to the Gentiles, but now it was turned into a marketplace and a dishonest place, den of thieves. So, it was the only area of the temple where Gentiles were allowed to come to pray, to give sacrifices that priests would take. To the altar from them and uh, to actually the priest also teach the gentiles about the one true god non-covenant mean the gentiles mean non-israelites were forbidden to enter other areas of the temple or to approach the altar and the lord told them my house is a house of prayer my house is built and devoted for that service, to pray. And this was taken from Isaiah 56, verse seven. And until now, sometimes we perceive the church as a house of merchandise, or a marketplace, or social gathering. We should remember that this place is a house of prayer. We come here mainly, mainly, to pray. Or maybe I can say only to pray. That is the, the, the purpose of the church. So, it is a reminder of Israel, to, uh, Israel mission sorry, to other nations of the earth to bring Gentiles to salvation. And instead of teaching Gentiles about the Messiah, they are abusing the court set aside to teach the Gentiles about the Messiah, and now they are buying and selling in this court. That's why the Lord told them, you made it den of thieves. And this was taken from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, which is a warning of judgment for violating God's house and the, uh, which is Jerusalem temple. It is judgment that will be fulfilled in destruction of the temple, 70 AD. So, Because they made the house of God, house of, uh, den of thieves. That's why it was destroyed 70 AD and until now is not built or rebuilt again. Why did the Lord say den of thieves about the temple? Because the thief does not care. He rather rubs and kills. In the same way, Jewish leaders changed their mission. And instead of offering the word of truth, the one that grants life, they began to use their position and their authority in trading. They killed their brethren spiritually by being a stumbling block. That's the first scene, cleaning the temple, or cleansing the temple. Second scene, he was teaching daily in the temple. Every day till the Passover. Actually, only in the day he taught And at night, he went to the city of Bethany or to the Mount of Olives. And here, Jesus boldly continued his work of public teaching and healing, although he knew that the scribes and Pharisees wanted him. But he was not afraid. He continued publicly teaching. And he was able to continue because people wanted to hear him. Uh, As we read... Uh, and verse 48, and were unable, the chief, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And were unable to do anything. They were unable to arrest him or destroy him. Why? For all the people were very attentive to hear him. And this actually made his uh, teaching easy and continued because people, all all the people were very attentive to hear him. And you can see here the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of Israel. Greed and theft did not bother them. But the teaching of Jesus bothered them and they wanted actually to arrest him. The religious leaders met and consulted together how to put their hands on Jesus, how to arrest him, and what charges to bring against him in order to put him to death. The religious leaders were afraid they could that they could start a riot because the people loved the Lord Jesus Christ. So if they tried to arrest Jesus when he was teaching, the crowd who believed in him could start a riot or demonstration against them. So they needed to arrest him when he was alone unprotected by the Passover pilgrims and his numerous disciples. That's why they planned to Judas to arrest him in Gethsemane where he was alone only with the twelve, uh, no multitude around him, was at night, no nobody in, in Gethsemane in this garden except him and that is how they arrested him. This actually concludes chapter 19 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.